0: This is the RAD podcast. RAD is both Who I Am, Rachel A. Dawson, and an acronym for What I'm Here to Do, which is actually new this season if you haven't listened in. I know there's only been one episode so far in this season. I appreciate your grace and patience. So the R still stands for reading because it just makes sense. The A stands for asking, and the D is for doing. It's a little shift from the last season, but it just makes sense to me, and I am so glad you're listening in. I'm glad to be back recording episodes. I know they're inconsistent, but it is so fun to share in this way. And so I'm thankful you're listening in. All right, let's get started with reading. So, recently I took a getaway trip, which I literally went to a getaway house about a couple hours from Richmond here. It was out in the woods, and during that time, I had two nights and three days away, and I spent time rereading two books that I have not read since about 2016. The first was East of Eden by John Steinbeck, which is a classic that I love. It's kind of a spin retelling on the book of Genesis and really focuses on the brother dynamic, kind of that Cain and Abel story, and it's so compelling. It's a 600-ish page book, but so worth a read. I really loved rereading it. And then I reread a book called Bandersnatch. It's written by Erica Morrison and it's all about uh, an invitation to explore your unconventional soul. And something that I really loved about rereading both of these books is that my experiences of them and who I am reading them was totally different than it was the very first time I read them. And it just felt really striking to me that the book really hadn't changed, right? The pages were the same, the content was the same, but yet. There was something entirely new happening in me and kind of in the book as I was reading it again. And so I wanted to share a little bit of a kind of an Instagram caption that I wrote some thoughts that I shared around this concept. Um, But what I'm realizing about words and stories and scripture too, as I spent time really reading the book of John while I was away, is that they too are living and breathing things. So as I reread these books, I found them to be both entirely new, even as they felt familiar. The books were the same, but yet wholly different all at once. And maybe it's that I'm different now. It's, you know, it's been five years since I first read these books, but there's also something mighty and magical to me about the way that old words strike new chords in me. It's the same thing that I love about the Bible, that these ancient texts can come alive again and again, and each reading of them is like turning a diamond to see a new facet or a new glimmer or a new truth. So when I wrote this caption, I said, thoughts were tumbling around in my brain. They spilled out from my thumbs, but I felt inspired all over again by the power and beauty of words and stories, old and new. What a gift. So this book, Bandersnatch by Erica Morrison, is incredible, and I highly recommend reading it. Um, I actually had some really cool interactions with Erica herself on Instagram as I posted my review of her book and she um, saw it and shared it. And a quote that I really loved from her book that I found really moving this time and actually hadn't highlighted the first time that I read it was, "Who your true self in its purest form is what I would define as a love affair between God and your only inherent DNA, When the spirit of God and the soul of you have a meeting within your body, what is born again and again and again is your true self, your true identity. She later writes, be prepared to feel at times like you are being crucified on the way to your own resurrection and try to keep your eyes on the end result. And the last quote I'll share, she says, finding my true self was a pilgrimage back to the garden. A return to being held in the eyes of the divine. Man, so good. I'm so encouraged by those thoughts. And as I'll share later in the doing section, um, you'll see that those threads are really meaningful for some things that I'm experiencing in my life right now. So that is what I've been reading. Bandersnatch by Erica Morrison, Issa Eden by John Steinbeck, and a couple others. You can find all of those reviews on my bookstagram. So find me on Instagram at all the reads. And now for asking. So a question I've been thinking about lately is what is actually essential in life, and to take it a step further, what's actually essential for our joy, for our delight? What's actually essential for love? What's actually essential for fill in the blank? Um, getting away to this little tiny cabin in the woods, which was very minimalist. There was you know a couple plates, a couple bowls, uh, super simple kitchen. Uh, one burner, you know, a teapot, a tiny little fridge, just a bed and a simple wooden desk. And the walls were all wood. It was truly like the thing of a Pinterest dream, very Instagrammable. But it really felt like what was there was the essentials, right? I put my phone in a lockbox. I didn't have any Wi-Fi, no technology, no screens. There was actually no mirror. Um, And I just was really struck by the peace that I felt being there And just the, I don't know, the calmness in my spirit as I kind of shut out the noise and shut out the stuff and shut out distractions and was just present. Um, I'm getting chills now just thinking about it. And I just got to thinking that, man, you know, stocking this cabin for getaways, you know, people to come stay here, they had to decide what was essential. And I'd like to take that kind of questioning and that kind of thought into my life So as I look around, you know, my apartment, uh, what's essential? What's essential for me to live well? Do I need all of the things that I own? Um, What's essential in my relationships? Do I, maybe I don't need to talk to somebody every single day, but what's essential is a sense of connection or honesty or vulnerability. Um, What's essential in my work? What matters to me about the work that I do on a day-to-day basis? Do I, you know, need to have a swanky workplace? Or do I just need to love uh, the job in front of me or love the mission and the vision of the organization? I don't know. So I'm curious and I'm asking myself this question a lot of really what is essential for fill in the blank. And as my word of the year is delight, and that is something that I am seeking and chasing after and pursuing more, I'm really wondering what is essential for delight? Is it having more? Do I need to purchase another book about delight? Do I need to, you know, have this extravagant adventure to find delight? Do I need to, uh, whatever? And I'm realizing more and more that I actually think it's not more, it's less. That I think this getaway reminded me and showed me so vividly and beautifully that less really was more that I encountered the Holy Spirit, that I felt present in my own body in a way that just was different because there was less around me. And so what if what's essential is actually less than we think? And how can we maybe make steps toward minimizing, um, scaling back, being more intentional, more thoughtful with the things that we let in, whether it's physical possessions or people or ideas or noise or social media streams? What if we were more thoughtful, more intentional and truly focused on what was essential? That's the question I'm asking right now. And lastly, for doing. Okay, this is where if you haven't noticed, I'm kind of going off script this episode, I did not write this whole episode out like I normally do. I normally write it word for word and read it. But I don't know. tonight I kind of felt inspired to do something new. I felt like I had just thoughts on my heart and wanted to share. So I would love your feedback. Um, if you felt like this worked or not, or if you'd prefer, I kind of go back to, you know, writing it out. Um, okay, doing. <laughs> this is an interesting one. I'd love to just kind of share a story with you all. Uh, It's honestly a little bit of not what I was doing so much as what I kind of allowed and opened myself up to uh, be done in me and around me and through me. So let me back up and tell you a story. A couple weeks ago, I was sharing with my counselor um, how it felt to be in this place of kind of honest, just stubbornness and kind of martyrdom and victimhood that I felt very uh, comfortable in and attached to. I had for weeks, years, I don't even know how long in my life, um, tried to put up this defense and a guard around my heart. Um, If you know my story at all, if you've listened to any other things I've shared, you know that I've been through some hard stuff and had some intense abuse and trauma and significant um, things happen in my life that have seriously broken parts of me. And for so long as a result of that, and a result of kind of actions I took following those, um, that season, I felt like I was just really, um, guarded and defensive and, um, honestly, probably afraid of letting people in again, letting people see me, letting my sin be seen, my shame be seen, my brokenness be seen and be known, And it's been a hard thing to unpack and kind of undo and work through over the years. But uh, I've shared about my EMDR journey in the past, my counseling and therapy journey. It's all been part of it. And there have been some breakthroughs there. But uh, this kind of has felt like a a season in the last few years where I've kind of felt that guard um, building up stronger and stronger and really feeling... um, a sense of wanting there to be distance between me and the world and honestly between me and God. And I didn't want to let God in. I didn't want to let people in. And, um, you might think like, Oh, you, but you share your life on Instagram a lot or you, you know, you talk on a podcast a lot. And, uh, yeah, I share a, um, I don't know, a crafted curated, um, version of what's true. It's, it is true. What I share is true. And I, um, seek to be honest and vulnerable, but they're also, layers to that I think and parts that I am very comfortable sharing because they feel uh, like I have some control over them and there's a lot that I don't and I keep hidden and I really have tried to kind of keep locked up behind this what I've described as really a brick wall and so this brick wall kind of thing has been true for a while and I felt like I've been trying to kind of keep it up around my heart around my soul around all of the kind of realist uh, core of who I am and I told my counselor there was a, a week, uh, maybe two or three weeks ago. I was just driving and felt this thought pop into my head that was like, I don't, I don't feel as resistant anymore. I feel like the brick wall is maybe crumbling. That there, there might, you know, be some um, tearing down of those bricks in this kind of metaphorical sense. And the whole thing my counselor has been encouraging this entire time has not been to figure it all out or know the end result, which I want. Has <laughs> been instead to just be willing. To go in that direction and a willingness to be open to being kind to myself, to letting love in, to uh, forgiveness, to grace, to mercy, all of these beautiful true things that I have been fighting so hard against because I feel undeserving and unworthy because bill in the blank, right? I could write you a novel of all the reasons why I don't deserve the good things, because don't you know about this thing that happened to me? Don't you know about the time I did this? Don't you know about this thing that I said, that I did, that I thought, etc. But I felt this shift, and I told my counselor it felt more like the brick wall was crumbling, and instead it was more like a foggy window. I could start to kind of see through. I could start to see what was on the other side, and I could see that it was good. It wasn't scary. It wasn't awful. It was something beautiful and good. I didn't. Quite know how to get to it yet. There's still fog in the way. It's still not totally in focus. But the defense was different, and it had kind of um, just shifted from this brick wall to this foggy mirror. And so that's where I was a couple of weeks ago. That's where I've kind of been in, and I've just been kind of sitting with that and trying to um, kind of be open to it. I'm not somebody who can really jump into things. I'm much more of a you know dipper toes in and take time to get settled. So I've just been sitting with that thought and. This past Thursday before Easter, our church had a dress rehearsal for our Easter Sunday services, and as you all know, I am on staff at my church, and it's a crazy season with Easter, and there's been a lot of to-dos and busyness and stress and all of that, and this Thursday rehearsal was the first time I was able to really kind of put all the work aside. We had done really all we could do at that point. This rehearsal was being recorded as a backup option and I got to just be in the room with just a few other people in the huge auditorium and receive worship and just be free to worship and to be in the service. And who, when I tell you that uh, it changed everything, um, it's not an understatement. It really was an... I don't even know the words for how to describe it. So... Let me paint you a picture. I'm in an auditorium, right? There's a couple people in the room. We're worshiping. My friend Emily Roy is an incredibly talented songwriter, a singer. She's one of our worship leaders, and she had written this song on actually one of her getaway house trips. Um, and I'd love to see if my brother can actually uh, add it here. We can listen to it. Um, so if so, we'll play that now. Oh, so that song, the lyrics about the sufferer, this welcome home idea, this refrain of you are loved, you are loved, you are loved, and there is more, there is more, there is more. You all, I fell to my knees, and I'm not one who normally um, is on her knees a whole lot. That's not a posture I often take. Maybe I should. I fell to my knees, my head hit the ground, and I just sprawled out sobbing hearing these words sung over me in a way that just busted it all wide open. Dang, I have chills again. And I just felt that glass, that foggy window, mirror, whatever. I just felt it shattering open and this love washed in. And I felt a tangible sense that the spirit was with me. I was not alone And these words, you are loved, you are loved, you are loved, there is more, there is more, there is more, were sung over me and I just opened up to it and I stopped fighting and I just let God love me. And dang, if that doesn't change everything, it's ridiculous to me that I've even tried to fight God loving me. Um, it's hilarious to think that I stood a chance against God's love, right? Like, okay, yeah, Rachel, this metaphorical, uh, imagined brick wall you're trying to put around your heart is somehow a match for the love of God. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. Um, and it's funny to me now to look back and realize like what I was fighting so hard and what I was so resistant to so stubborn, so adamant that I didn't deserve was love like the freaking best thing on the planet. And I'm here being like, Nope, don't deserve it. Don't give me that go away. I don't I don't want that. It's ridiculous. So here I am meltdown head on the ground sobbing hearing these words spoken over me feeling so open to love feeling wrapped up in it in this weird way and just feeling like, Okay, like I surrender. Lord, I am letting you love me. Like somehow you need, you didn't need my permission, but I am giving it to you because I want this love. I want to be loved by you. I want to give up these false identities, these things I've been holding to, all right? These identities of pain, like past pain and abuse and suffering and trauma and this victimhood, this martyrdom that I've been clinging to as my identity thinking that I had to, that if I don't keep this part, then the rest of it won't make sense. And I deserve to suffer because the bad things that I did and that were done to me. And I was so caught up in that identity that I've just haven't had room to open my hands, anything else. And in that moment and during that song, I did. And I felt myself just opening up to letting that identity go and receiving the love of God and realizing I am a beloved child of a good, good God who made me, who knows me, who loves me all the same. I can't give him enough reasons. And There's no reason I could give him that would change that. My counselor loves to tell me that I am not so special, that I am the only exception to the rule, that I'm the only one who God doesn't love, which is annoying to hear in a session, but also very true that... If God is who I believe God to be, then that's true for me and I'm not outside of it. And I have really wrestled with that and really struggled to believe that. And if you're in a place where you are wrestling with that, I want you to know that you're known and I am with you in that. It's a hard place to be, but it's real. So here I am sobbing on the floor, my friend Kelsey and another incredible worship leader at our church comes off the stage, the song is done, she puts her head, hand on my head as I am knelt to the ground and she just speaks over me, you are loved, you are loved, you are loved. And I'm not a touched person, you all, I don't usually love it, but to have somebody see me breaking down, to see this brokenness kind of sprawled out, literally on display, to see this moment of kind of surrender happening and for her to touch my head to speak into that moment and tell me again that I am loved to know that she saw me in that place and still spoke that over me still affirmed that truth (laughs) so good so grateful um for her and for that for her willingness to even just engage with me in that way um it was good So my pastor got up to preach the message that would be shared on Easter Sunday, and uh, let me flip through my notes here just to pull up um, what I wanted to share. So his whole message was about this idea that we are invited to move from fear to love to life, and I swear it was like the message was just for me. I kind of had this feeling like... I feel like I'm the only one in the room and he's just talking right to me. And I just needed to hear that tonight. Um, He shared a quote that said, love exposes the fear as it leads us to life. And I felt like that's what happened in that moment. Um, So (laughs) this whole topic, right, of doing, I don't know what I did in all of this, except be present and be open uh, in some small way to let the spirit in. let God work and move through me and in me. And this massive breakdown, breakthrough breaking open happens. And I believe more now that I am loved than I did a week ago. Uh, I believe it more now than I did a year ago. Um, I believe it more now today than I did yesterday. And I don't, uh, I don't know, how to tell you how sweet that is except just to say that it man it changes everything um and the invitation that Christ offers us through the cross is that there is life on the other side of death and sometimes like that quote i said shared earlier says that sometimes we on our are on our way to a crucifixion but it's after that that the resurrection comes and i felt like i put to death these lies And these beliefs that I had been holding, that I was unlovable, that I was unworthy of love, that I was too far gone, too broken, too messed up. Things had been too bad. You don't know what happened to me. You don't know what I did. You don't understand why I'm not worthy. I put that all to death. And for the first time in a long time, or maybe ever opened up to the idea of a new life and a new way that there is more, there is more, there is more because I am loved. I am loved. I am loved. So my prayer that I wrote after this whole experience that I would love to just kind of end with is, Jesus, thank you. Spirit, thank you. Abba, thank you. You love me first, and you love me best. You see it all, and you love me still. I receive it I'm letting it in. I'm done trying to pretend like I am any match for the force of your love. Thank you for breaking fear through my fear with your love. Thank you for welcoming me back into life. True, beautiful, free, abundant life. Thank you. Amen. Ooh, well, friends, that was my first um, off-the-script episode. Um, really have no idea what I shared, honestly. It feels like the last uh, how many of our minutes it's been were a blur, but I'm grateful you're here, thankful for your listening in. Uh, this is episode two, I guess, of season two, and I hope to continue sharing as I have time and as I feel like I've got something to share. But I would be honored if you chose to subscribe to the Rad Podcast and your favorite podcast app and if you rate and leave a review wherever you're listening, those little things do go a long way and mean a lot to me. So if you are looking for me online, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Rachel A Dawson. And my Bookstagram and TikTok are at all the radreads. For everything else, you can find me at racheladawson.com. The music and mix and all of the genius behind this episode came from my talented brother Drew Dawson, and I'm so thankful for his help. Thanks for listening, friends. I appreciate you being here and uh, sharing it a part of my story. This one felt special to record, and I'm glad to be sharing with um, the Lord soon in my life. So thanks for being here. Stay rad, friends.